This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com view. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. Today on our panel, we have Ben Hong. Hello. Ari Clark. Hello. And Elizabeth Fine. Hello. And of course, myself, Chris Fretz. <laughs> and today our guest is Divya Sasidaran. So Divya, would you like to give a, a quick introduction to yourself? I'm Divya. I currently work as a developer experience engineer at Netlify, which is a platform for static site deployment. It's really cool. You should use it if you don't. I work a lot with Vue. I was hired to pretty much be the Vue representative at Netlify. So I build a lot of resources for Vue developers using Netlify specifically. And yeah, and I, I love working on Vue. It's like one of my favorite frameworks out there. It is the one framework that I use actually outside <laughs> of like just, just plain JavaScript. Yeah, and I currently do a lot of talks. So essentially a developer experience engineer means that it's part DevRel and part like experience engineering, which is building tools and SDKs and libraries to help developers use the platform. So currently I'm doing a lot of DevRel stuff, which means like writing a bunch and giving a bunch of talks. So there's a lot of travel involved there, going to conferences. And ViewConf is the upcoming one that I'm going to be at. So I'm really excited for that. What are you doing at ViewConf? So when I say I'm going to be at ViewConf, there's like two ViewConfs. I'm going to be at the Amsterdam one and then also the US one. Or ViewJS Amsterdam. But yeah, ViewJS Amsterdam, yeah. yeah. Yeah, technically, yes. But for ViewConf, I'm going to be doing a workshop. So in the past, for the past two years, I've given talks. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to do something different this year. And so Pratik, I talked to Pratik and basically he offered the opportunity to do a workshop, which I think is really cool. And I've done this before. I did this workshop at Connect Tech, which is a conference that Pratik and Vincent run in Atlanta, which is where they, they live. And so this is an intro to Vuex or state management with Vuex workshop. So I'll be talking about all the things with using Vuex, how to integrate it into projects, how to migrate to Vuex and so on. Awesome. And, and for those who, who aren't aware, Pratik and Vincent are organizers of ViewConf US. Yes, yes, I should mention. And many other conferences. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and many other conferences. And many other too, ones. But like yeah. within the view community, that's, yes. yeah, that, that, that's relevant information. Correct. Yes, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you're going to be at Vue.js Amsterdam too? Yeah, I will be. So that will be, I'm emceeing Vue.js Amsterdam. So that's like a Whoa. lot more. <laughs> that's exciting. Yeah, I believe so. I, I, I'm currently trying to just make sure that I understand the schedule. So I got sent that recently. So I know the lineup. And so it's a matter of just preparing, making sure I know how to pronounce people's names. I think that's top of of mind. Yep, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Ben, do you have any tips? Seeing as you Uh, uh, emceed ViewConf US last year. Well, actually, (laughs) Divya was the first one to do it with Jacob at View Toronto. Uh I have have much to learn from her, actually. I think it's, it's... Definitely easier when you have someone doing it with you. I, I've heard mixed reactions. So I have a coworker, Phil Hawksworth, and he MC, he's an amazing MC, very charismatic, gives really good talks. He prefers MCing alone just because there's less variables to work with. Like he knows exactly what to expect. But I think if you're newer to MCing, it's really nice to have someone there to give you backup because mm-hmm. especially if it's a, a full day event or a multi-day event, your energy level just like dips a lot. And so when you have someone there, when you need a break, they'll take over for you and vice versa. So that's super nice. So like, it was really nice when I did my first emceeing with Jacob at View Toronto. Like I appreciated that a lot because I could take the time. <laughs> also just sometimes I need, I need a break. Like I need to go to the bathroom <laughs> or I need to like drink water, <laughs> eat food. That's also really important because yeah, again, super important to make sure your energy level is like on point because you're essentially yeah. trying to introduce people and keep the crowd amped. I've heard that biological needs are something a lot of our listeners can relate to. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've heard that as well. Studies have shown. We've got a lot of, we've got a lot of email. <laughs> a, little, a little too much email. Like, I don't know why we're getting all this email about people's biological needs. Luckily, no pictures or videos yet. No just, pictures. Just yeah. 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 
I feel like you guys just opened up the door to some really bad emails. <laughs> yeah, but if, if you do need to send us some more detail, uh, you can find oh, us no. online uh, on Twitter at Gloomy Loomy. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> That's going to be like every remember, episode. Twitter you're going to find a way. Both, both pictures and video. <laughs> no. Oh, man. Please don't. <laughs> Yeah. So how did you, uh, this is, this is sort of a tangent, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious yeah. for people who, who are thinking of getting into this, we, we've, we've talked about like getting into workshops and we've talked about, mm-hmm. you know, getting into talks before on other podcasts, but emceeing, like, how does, how does something like that start? Do you need like a, a stand up comedy background? Like your colleague Phil <laughs> does? Yeah. So Phil has, <laughs> Phil is specific cause he is, he does a lot of stand up, And so that, adds a lot to the way that he emcees because he's really, he's very much a natural on stage. I yeah, honestly, way funnier than you. <laughs> I know, seriously, I, I have, oh. I do refuse to do, to do like dad jokes on, on when I'm emceeing. Like I'll do jokes <laughs> that are intertwined. Like yeah, since when do you refuse to do dad jokes? <laughs> no, not on, no. When like, did so, that start? I'm trying to it make obviously it a was thing. After, do you come Toronto? Yes, it was. So, so the thing I'm trying to do more, Wow, there's a lot of shade here. I, I think, okay, so I'm just going to answer your point. <laughs> Ignore what you just said. Essentially, to get into emceeing, I think it's a good stepping stone that I found for me personally was giving talks because that's a way of just being super prepared and you can deliver a talk and there's not a lot of interruption unless there's a Q&A in which case there's some kind of interruption at the end. But generally when you give a talk, you get the experience of being in front of a stage, but you're, because you're super prepared, you don't, like your nerves sort of go away because you've done it before, mm-hmm. you know what to expect. There's not a lot of variables there. But then once you're comfortable with being on stage, you start to be, I think the more talks you give, the more ad hoc it starts being where your talk prep starts becoming less because you add extra material or you're changing demos or slides. Yeah. And for those who, who aren't familiar with ad hoc, Lucy Goosey is an uh, equivalent phrase. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Valid synonym. We call it Lucy Goosey in the biz. <laughs> okay. I, I didn't know that. I, I've been in the biz and I didn't know that. Okay. Today yeah. I learned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get it started. Really. Yeah. Fair. All right. Fair. But I think in general, like you start getting more, more loosey goosey with the way that you present or the way that you, whatever. <laughs> the more like you become more, I think, comfortable with time. And I, I honestly, this is, this is the kicker for me personally the community that you're exposed to matters. So for me, mm-hmm. if I'm in front of the view community, I'm so comfortable with them because I've given talks at view cons. I've met a bunch of people in the view community. I've gone to meetups. And so, and I've gone to dinner with them. We've hung out, we've done karaoke. We've done like a lot so much together that for me standing in front of them feels like one, it's an honor because I really look up to a lot of these people and respect them. And two, I care a lot about them. And so for me, it just feels very comfortable rather than being in front of an audience that I'm unfamiliar with. And I'm like, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what these people are like, but when I'm in front of the view community in in particular, I'm like, I know they have my back and that they support me. So if I mess up, they're like less willing to be critical because they're like, Oh, we know you're trying really hard. And I really appreciate that. So I think that's also something that factors into emceeing. If you can find a community that you're comfortable Mm -hmm. with, I think you would feel more natural doing it. And then also like to get into it, as I mentioned before, if you have done it with someone before, like if you have a co-MC, when you're starting out, that's super nice because again, sometimes the co-MC is, is more experienced than you. And so they can follow, they can kind of guide you along how they process things and how exactly they walk through MCing an entire conference. And so that gives you, you, you end up being a protege, so to speak. And so you build up confidence and you start learning what your styles are. And then overall, you get to do it yourself if you want to. <laughs> yeah. And I think also the other thing, going back to the community point is that whenever conferences are looking for MCs, they often try to look for people who are like stalwarts in the community. So if you're someone who's like active in the community and does a lot of work and supports a meetup or or does a bunch of work, people are willing to reach out to you or they'll be like, Hey, we're doing this thing. Can you MC? And they'll ask you, or 
if you're someone who does a bunch of work, you might not get asked by the conference organizer, but someone will recommend you, which is also a really great avenue of doing it because that way you don't have to feel like you have to perform constantly to have people (laughs) think you'll make a great MC. Sometimes I think, sometimes very quiet people make good MCs as well because they get to the point and like they don't add extra fluff. They don't, they're not performing because I think the role of an MC is not to be the center of attention. You're essentially yeah. just the guide to be like, I'm guiding the audience through these series of talks. And so that's something that I try to keep in mind when, when I do it. Not that I'm a super expert. This is like the second conference I'm emceeing, <laughs> but I've seen a lot of MCs, and I think from looking at people doing it, you get a sense of what works and what doesn't work. Would you no, say obviously that it was Ben's successful the jokes. first time? <laughs> yeah. Would you say that Ben's jokes at ViewComp did not work or did they work? I think they were. So, I, so okay. I, I will, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll like cycle ben, back and say ben that. Ben does, does, does a lot of dad jokes. So you th- found so not is, to do dad jokes. So this is the thing. Okay. So are you gonna, enemies? Do you just hate Ben's style? <laughs> so I will say, I'll, I'll, I'll hedge my opinion from earlier, which is that Generally, when people do dad jokes and I've seen it done poorly, it's when they come to the fore, like in front of the audience and they don't know what to say. And then they pull out their phone and they're like, I'm going to tell you dad jokes. And then they proceed to read it word for word, which I think is really terrible because like one, <laughs> you, did, you clearly didn't do your homework. <laughs> you were backstage like Googling things. And so as an audience member, I feel like you didn't put in the effort and work. So that's frustrating, but I think you can do it really well. There are ways in which like, like Ben is a really good host because he's able to one, make the audience feel like they know what's upcoming, but also he makes speakers very comfortable. So as a speaker, when I'm going on stage, I like speakers are nervous. No matter how practiced you are, you're like, oh, a ball of nerves right before your talk. And it's so nice when the MC is able to make you feel completely calm because you have to be able to like amp up the audience but also like make sure speakers are okay. And then like the dad jokes thing is a way, like you can use that as filler, but you don't want the audience to make it seem like it's filler. (laughs) Like you want it to feel like it's a conversation. You're like talking and then you're like, oh, I was like looking, I don't know. I was on Reddit and I saw this stupid joke and then you say it or whatever. And so you can, there's ways to say it. So it feels more natural rather than Mm -hmm. you just like trying desperately to be like, I just want, to give this speaker because like the speaker knows too like one the audience feels awkward when you're reading jokes and two it makes the speaker super nervous when you're just reading jokes because they're like mm-hmm. oh how many jokes do you have because sometimes a host will be like or an MC will be like oh I don't actually have any more jokes and then I'm still doing AV work and I feel stressed because I'm like <laughs> this thing isn't working the MC's like has no mm-hmm. idea what to do now and so it's really important to be prepared and just understand like how to, it's a matter of like, like going back to that loosey goosey, like ad hoc thing. You have to be able to just, you can be practiced, like that you don't always have to be, think on your feet. But I think there are ways to do it so that you're like practiced to fill in time when necessary. I didn't know that an MC actually um, interacted with the speakers that much. Yeah. I just thought yep. that they go mm-hmm. up there and, you know, they say their piece and they just go backstage and the speaker comes out. I think Ben can speak to this the most because he he's very good at that. Yeah. So the thing is that a lot of speakers before they get on, um, what people don't see is they're usually on like a good 20 minutes sometimes before their actual slot because they got to get mic'd up. And so, you know, I mean, I've done this myself. You know, when you're about to get up there, a lot of people, we have like little rituals, whether you're pacing or just, just trying to get out the nerves. And so usually, I know I, I have this thing now where when I go to conferences, I bring a bag of vitamin C drops. And like, you know, just like make sure there's water in the back for the speakers. Because that's the worst thing is like when you're about to get on, you need something to drink. And then like people's like, oh, no, there's no water back here. So just, yeah, doing your best to make speakers as comfortable as possible. Because your goal is to really hype them up so that, you know, once, as Divya said, you build them up. And once you introduce them on stage, you want to get, get them starting with the bang. So as much as you can to build up that confidence and comfort is critical. Because I, I think, I mean, Divya can speak to this probably more, but I feel like no matter how often you speak, the nerves are always there just like right before you get on stage. I don't think that's something that ever truly goes away. And it could be like a little bit of um, excited nerves, but I just, I always get the jitters no matter what. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> and, terrifying. Sitting back there for 20 minutes, getting mic'd up. Yeah. 
as experienced MCs. Like, oh <laughs> <Did> <laughs> I both give it, we've both done one. Exactly. <laughs> We're both yeah. about to do our second Is this year. But yes. <laughs> okay, I guess that's true. We have we like have, we have you've, experience. You've done it once and have both been invited to do it again. Yes. So you didn't totally mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fine. So, I'll, give, I'll grant you that. Who, like, which speaker in the View community is like the biggest diva? <laughs> oh my god! Oh, he might, he might be sitting next to me right now. Do you actually. know uh, MC Stone? <laughs> hey, listen, listen. I just—it's important to make time for my vocal warm-ups, and I need I my water at exactly fifty-two degrees. Fifty-two degrees. It's not that hard. It's like a—it's like an MC secret. Yeah. I'll, I'll bring all. You will now. I have a list, but I'll bring it to my deathbed. <laughs> bring it to my grave. <laughs> no, no. It's Divya's shoot list. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 no. You'll have to pry it from my icy cold grip. <laughs> cool. And then how did you get started doing this, this VUX workshop? Yeah, so that actually came about because I had given a lot of talks. This was, so Connect Tech was the first workshop that I gave and this was October of last year, so 2019. And up to that point, I had only given talks before and I'd never done a workshop before. And one of the things that I had wanted practice on, I wanted to work on was just the ability to give a workshop. It's a bit different. One, because with a talk, you're one, very prepared, but you don't get to go into a lot of detail as to what you're saying. And you also don't get a lot of feedback because generally it's one way. You're just giving mm -hmm. the talk and people are listening to you. And I think with a workshop, there's a lot more interactivity. And so for me, I really wanted to tackle that as a challenge because I was like, okay, I, I have talks. I'm, I still get nervous giving talks and like pre prepping for talks is a lot of work, but workshops is a different skill set almost because one, you're working on just that interactivity of making sure that what you're saying is understood by someone. And also you have to do a lot of just making sure everyone feels comfortable. So you're, you're juggling a lot of balls. And I thought that was a really interesting challenge. It was also enticing because I could go into in depth into what I want to talk about. So with talks, you don't have a lot of time. Often a talk is 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes. Some, some talks are an hour, which is crazy. But Generally, that time limit gives you so, like you only have so much you can talk about within that without boring the audience. People, you know, they, they stop listening and so on. But with a workshop, there's so much more to it. There's also like the ability for you to create demos that people work on and you have to help them through it. And so you really have to think through what you're teaching in such great depth. So you're like a full domain expert. And I think I really enjoyed that challenge. Just to be like, it's com I'm completely out of my comfort zone. I've given, not workshops, but I've given seminars, lectures, I guess, before. I used to work at a university and I also lectured a master's student's class, which I was incredibly unqualified for. <laughs> but I taught them D3 and I learned a lot of things with regards to just classroom management, which I think if you're a teacher, you would learn that. But as a non-teacher, I don't know that. And so I was dreadful at it. I was like 23 or whatever. <laughs> I like did that to like a bunch of people who were way older than me. And yeah, so that was like one experience that I never really grew from because I was just like scared all the time and trying to figure, figure stuff out as I went. And so with the workshop, I was like, okay, that experience really sucked, but I'm sure I could have made it better because one, I'm like a better developer. Two, I'm more confident, hopefully more conf confident. I think more confident, yes. <laughs> Ironic. I think more confident. I'm not confident. Oh no, I'm not confident. <laughs> no, it's like a general like, anyway. So I wanted to try it and do it. And also I was talking to Chris a lot about how, like we'd go back and forth and talking about Vuex patterns, like modules, how you'd work, it, work on it with projects and so on. And I think I had amassed various techniques for how I manage my Vuex stores. And Chris was like, oh, I think this will make a really good workshop. So I think he was the one who encouraged me a lot to do that just because, again, with specific things like that, especially with such detail, you can't, you can't be fully eloquent in a talk because you'll lose a lot of people, but you can do a lot more in a workshop. And so I think, 
like Chris was like, you should just do it, do a workshop on this. And he was the one who pushed me, which was, which was really nice because I think the first workshop was an, <laughs> was a bit of a train wreck, <laughs> but I, I think that's, I think that's, I felt like it was, well, I think it's, <laughs> yeah, I think you're, you're often more critical of yourself than others. Yeah, are. But I was going to say, I thought mine was a train wreck too. So yeah. maybe it's just like first time workshop givers all feel their workshops are train wreck. Yeah. It's really hard because I, so, so Chris has mentioned this before because Chris, you were a teacher. And yeah. one of the things I struggle with so much, even now is just classroom management. Like how do you manage students? Because across the board, not everyone will be the same level. There's often times where someone is faster and those people go way ahead of from where you're, so you're teaching, but then they speed up ahead. And then they get frustrated with you because sometimes they think things are too simple or you're explaining too much in detail. And then if you don't explain in detail, the people who are beginners are lost. And so you have to manage this, just like how do you talk about things without losing people, both like people who are super beginner and people who are super advanced. And you have to be able to understand and speak to the crowd. And so to, so to speak, when you're doing a workshop, you have to, there's this, sense of like finding that middle ground and so I have prep materials but often I've only done it once again but I often find that I sometimes have to have more materials just in case so it's almost a choose your own adventure type thing where it's like oh this whole room has done this one thing that I'm gonna teach so I'm gonna have to just chuck that material that I was gonna do and go down this other pathway which again, takes a lot more work than creating a workshop. And I think Sarah Dresner talks about this a lot, just the fact that one of the things that makes you gain mastery of giving a workshop is the ability to do that. So you're creating extra materials, like extra curriculars, so that when people are super fast, you can just send them down that track. And then you can continue down, like, I'm going to keep going at this pace, but if anyone is fast and like is bored, go do this other thing and then come back when, when you, when you finish or when you want to like check in again. But again, Sarah's given hundreds of workshops. And so she mentioned, I mean, she's one of the things that she's mentioned is just that to get to that point, it took her like, she had to do like 30 to 50 workshops before she had the ability to create extra materials because, you know, like you, every workshop you give, it's an iteration. So you do a workshop and then you're like, oh, I need to iterate on that. And then you iterate. So you're constantly iterating on things, but then it's only when you've given a workshop the umpteenth time that you're, you realize like, oh, I, I can add this material in and it'll be way more compelling or whatever. So it's just because I think the first few times is also when you're just trying to survive, as Sarah mentioned. <laughs> She's like, the first few times you do a workshop, you're just trying to get through the day. And then once you have a, a, a firm grasp of like, I can manage the day, then you can be like, oh, I can add extra stuff. But honestly, there's so much. Yeah, but this one of the things that I always take, I take for granted is just the amount of time it takes to build a workshop. Just mm -hmm. this materials you need to build, there's slides you need to build. You need to make sure everything is up to date because when your slides are not up to date or you have errors in your slide that can send students down a complete rabbit hole. So you have to be super careful of that. Cause I've done that before. Like my oh, first yeah. workshop. Yeah. It was bad. Or say <laughs> the package you were using updated that morning. That wasn't awful yeah. at all, <laughs> but you handled it. And don't yeah, worry, you only have to do it 30 to 50 times. Before yeah, only 30 yeah. to 50 more times. <laughs> I mean, you're you're yep. exaggerating a bit with PTSD. But <laughs> I am a little. I don't, I don't, I don't like to joke that much with uh, like real mental illness. But. Yeah. So, Divya, I have been following your January posts. Oh, yeah. On Dev.2. Could you tell us a little bit about that and what encouraged you to write an article 31 days in a row? Yeah, I think it was, I, I was bored over Christmas and, and it was an idea that just formulated, honestly, in a fit of boredom, like sheer boredom over Christmas and decided that I wanted to do this. So there was not a lot of planning that went into it. I pretty much was like, okay, a week before January, I was like, oh, January could be called January. And it's like, <laughs> 
because I, I do a lot of Jamstack stuff. And so Jam is JavaScript API markup, which is the Jam Jamstack acronym. And so I thought that would be really funny to do and then decided to embark on this crazy writing marathon. So, so as Elizabeth was mentioning, January is just a series that I created for myself. It's work I created for myself where I wrote... <laughs> I wrote one post every day for 31 days. Of course, January, it, okay, so this is my side rant, but so you know how at the beginning of the year, people have New Year's resolutions. It's so frustrating because of all months, it has, January has to have 31 days, which makes it so hard to get through your New Year's resolution. <laughs> Be 30 days, 28, what? I don't know, there's a good... Gem it doesn't have like a good, yeah. Gem, 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 feb, feb, gem, gem, feb, gem, yeah. So, so I have this, <laughs> I had this joke with my coworkers about that, which was, I did January and they were like, oh, it's so cool that you did January and did February. And I was like, there's nothing that rhymes unless I created a post called like feb on the web. <laughs> they were like, ship it. I was like, uh, no, yes, please. Okay, I uh, love to see that one. Yes. Now, you'll, probably no. get a, you'll probably get a hangover after January and you'll only write like five posts in February. It'll be the feb five. Ah, uh, yes. The mm. feb five. The feb 50. Yeah, anyway, we can, we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really like, so this is my... I generally find that I'm really successful when I do writing marathons. So I did, this is not the first one I did. I did one before this, which was like dev advent style two years ago, where I gave myself the task of writing a blog post every day for 24 days, basically until like right before Christmas. It was a lot because for that particular thing, that was my first time doing it. It was just a way for me to be like, my goal that year was to write more blog posts and I hadn't written anything. And so I was like, last ditch effort, write a bunch of posts. And it was, I liked it because it's just a way, it's a goal that's achievable just to be like, this is the one thing I need to do every day. And there was nothing else I needed to do. It was just like, write this post. And then obviously extra tasks for work. But um, setting myself the goal may, meant that I wrote more and also just, Generally, when I write, and this is my personal process, I agonize over wording so much. I'm like, it has to be perfect. And my intro gets rewritten like 20 times before I actually move on. Just because I'm like, it's not perfect. It's not perfect. And then I agonize over it so much. My body is like, again, it starts to be agonized, like agonizing because I'm so particular about words. But, but by the end, it's like the conclusion is rubbish. It's just like the end. <laughs> I don't care anymore. And so with January, my goal was to write a micro post because blog posts are super long. And if you write shorter, it's a bit easier to write because you don't have, the stakes are pretty low. Also with a micro post, you don't feel compelled to write an intro body conclusion style thing because it's a micro post. Micro posts are generally one to two paragraphs, super short. And you want to like explain a topic and get to the point as fast as possible. And so to do that, I titled every post with a question. So it was like, what is Jamstack? And then I answer it. Or like, how do content authors contribute equally to the Jamstack? And then I answer it. So it's just like easy for me to write one. I get to reason about an idea that I might not have reasoned about. So I, I work on a lot of Jamstack things because Netlify works on, essentially we're pushing the Jamstack forward. We want people to do, it, do things Jamstack-like. So like decoupled front and back end, JavaScript API markup, static hosting, all that kind of stuff, the good stuff. But I think as a developer, I had a lot of misconceptions around Jamstack. Like I'd never thought about the content authoring experience because I'm a developer. I'm like, if you want to contribute to a Jamstack project, you should be able to use Git because that's <laughs> where everything should live because if everything lives in Git, it's easier to deploy, blah, blah, blah. But then when I posed myself the question of like, but what if a content author is not technical and cannot use Git? Like, what then? And then I have to contend with my own misconceptions and try to figure out like, what is a good solution? And so it was such a good exercise, one, from a writing perspective, but two, from just like thinking about an idea from different angles that I might not have thought of otherwise. And so like, I highly recommend it just as a way of like, if there's a concept that you're unfamiliar with, or a concept that you're super familiar with that you feel like you could deepen your knowledge over to just like 
kind of reason with it and reckon with it. And then writing about it is also a way of like formalizing the idea as you're working through it. And your writing gets super, super good by the end because <laughs> you write way faster. Like now when I'm like, I need to write a blog post, I just bang it out in like two hours. That's or hour. awesome. So yeah. you, you think that whole practice of just stop, you know, not worrying so much about making your introduction perfect because you don't even have an introduction. Just yeah. help you put less emphasis on that kind of thing anyways. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's a really great way of just putting things out there because yeah. And, and also focusing on readability because like there's so many tutorials that I've written and blog posts that I've written that are so long. It takes like yes. 10 minutes to get through it. And I'm like, no one is going to read this except me. I will say when, so when I clicked on your articles and I saw a one minute read, I'm like, this is awesome. You know what I mean? I get to hear yeah. the answer to this I question. It's going to take me one minute. Why not <laughs> read this now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I can read this while I'm drinking my coffee. And then, you know, I've got a little bit of knowledge, whereas it doesn't go in my, li- my long, long, long list of blog posts that I eventually want to one day get around to reading. Yeah. And because exactly. you do it every day, <laughs> we're getting you know, your readers are getting a little bit more information every day. So over the yep. long term, they're getting all of the information just broken up into little pieces. Yeah. 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 I think it's a cool exercise. Again, it's like a bit extreme, but I, I like <laughs> it's very it. very admirable. Thank you. Uh, Thanks. How do you come up with a topic for every one out of 31 days? Are these things that people have emailed you questions about or was it all just thinking from other people's perspectives that you came up with 31 article topics? It was a lot of research. So even though I mentioned that there wasn't a lot of prep, there was <laughs> like, so there, like in terms of planning, the planning was not super fleshed out. Like I didn't have, I'm going to write this on day one. I'm going to write this on day two and so on, which I, I started doing it that way where I gave myself, like, I actually did write down like day one through 31. These are the things I'm going to write about, but it was super rigid because some days I didn't feel like writing about the thing I planned to write about. So that went on for the first, for the first week I stuck to the plan. I was like, day one through seven, I'm going to answer these questions and then go through it. But by day eight, I realized that by answering questions, I was giving myself more questions. <laughs> Cause I'm like, wait, I think it, there's this other thing that I didn't talk about that I think would make a really great post. But a lot of the material and coming up with what to talk about was trawling Stack Overflow, looking at Netlify as a community forum. So I looked at that. I looked at, like, I watched so many talks, so many talks, almost every Jamstack talk out there just to, like, understand what people were talking about and figuring out, kind of working my way back. Like, oh, someone gave a talk about this. What could be a question that this talk particularly answers? And then, because for me, it was not only just giving an understanding to the landscape of what Jamstack is, but also I tried to be, to highlight people who are doing work in the community because there's so many people who are like talking about Jamstack, writing about it, speaking about it. And so for me, I'm using their material. And so I want to be like, these people are talking about this, go watch their stuff or go read this stuff. And so it's one, like a great way for people to be like, let me learn this thing really fast, but also like, oh, I learned this thing, but now I have all these questions. And then I'm like, here's some resources. <laughs> and like, also I wrote more posts for all these other questions you might've had. So I think it's like, it started out being like a lot of research and a lot of ideation. And then towards the end, it was nice because people would tweet at me with questions. I also had people commenting in, pl- in posts on specific things. I, re- I, was, I was completely blown away by just the, the how eloquent people were in the comments. I mean, I got some people who were like, well, actually, Jamstack uses servers. And I was like, yeah, servers. Well, actually. Oh, gosh. Oh, the good old well, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, but a lot of them were like very well thought out. This is what I'm using in a Jamstack project. And I think this post is like really well done and like also linking to like resources that they have done. And so it was so nice. I really liked that. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted to, one, talk about the Jamstack because it's January, January, funny pun, but also like trying to corral the the community together is is super nice. So speaking of the Jamstack, you said it stands for JavaScript APIs and markup. So for those who are not familiar with it, could you tell us a little bit more about the Jamstack and you know why that can be like maybe a flexible architecture or beneficial architecture for some people? Yeah, for sure. So Jamstack is formally JavaScript API markup, so Jam. 
But the idea is that you're building sites as statically as possible. So generally speaking, when you think about websites, we think of web applications and web applications end up being full stacky. So you have a back end, you have a front end, and there's a lot of like monolithic services that are inbuilt into it. So it's a lot of things that go into one application. But the Jamstack is essentially in contrast to that, it's this ability or this movement towards building things as statically as possible. So that's mainly because it's really good for performance and really good for security because you're dealing with less vulnerabilities because you're moving away from the server. Everything is static. It's read only. So people can't like inject malicious scripts because it's just text and HTML and some styling. And the idea is basically for Jamstack, a lot of the reasoning for developing is because CDNs have modernized a lot. And so in the past, CDNs tended to be just servers that you put static files on, and that was about it. But now CDNs do a lot more than that. You can do routing, so redirects from the CDN level, so you don't have to go back to the server to like ask where exactly you should redirect to. You can do that at the CDN, so it's super fast. You can also do authentication at the edge. So if you want someone to like log into a page, you don't have to go all the way back to the server to be like, is this person authorized? You can just do that at the edge. So this essentially what you're doing is you're moving, this is concept of moving away from servers. So CDN is a server, so to speak, but it's a different kind of server because most servers live in server farms. There's like a server rack and server farms and they're very far away from where a user is. So like, if I'm in Chicago, I might want to access the server in Virginia for whatever reason. Like I'm accessing a website and that's the server it belongs to. And so that's pretty far because Chicago from Virginia is not super close. And so when you access a website, that latency, so the latency is how fast the assets are served from server to client. That takes time. Essentially, it's the speed of light and that is constant. <laughs> you can't change that. And so what you want to do is you want to move that server as close as possible. So I'm in Chicago and I want to access a server that's closer to me. So instead of accessing the origin server, which is the one in Virginia, I'm accessing a CDN or an edge node, which is like, that can be, it's much smaller because it, it doesn't do a lot. It doesn't do as much as an origin server. And so I can be in Chicago and access an edge node in Chicago. So the latency is so much faster. It's, it's reduced basically because I'm not traveling. The static assets aren't traveling all that distance to get to me. So that's like the main idea of the Jamstack. You want to pre-render your websites as much as possible. So you're like, for instance, working on a view application and you're like, view, view is client-side, a lot of client-side rendering, but you can do a lot of pre-rendering for view. So you're like, I don't really need a lot of, a lot of JavaScript to run on the front end because there's not a lot of things that are happening. I can just use Vue, I can work with Vue in terms of like developing the application and then I can pre-render. I believe Chris Fritz has a package called pre-render spa plugin, which you can use to pre-render your site <laughs> if you're using Vue or any framework. And I've used it before. So it's a really great way of like kind of having your cake and eating it too. So you're like, I want to use Vue to build my app, use Vue. And then you use pre-render spa and you're like, ta-da, done. And yeah, Netlify also has its own pre-rendering solution that works very well. That is true, yeah. The Netlify pre-rendering solution is purely for bots though. So Yeah, the, for SEO. Yeah, it's for SEO. So generally, like when you, when you pre-render, often it's for SEO purposes because the bots crawl your website to see all the pages and then they rank them. And so if it's one JavaScript, one giant JavaScript file, you're actually dinged for that. The, the bots can kind of see it, but not as well as if it's static assets. And so with Netlify, if you're running a JavaScript app, you can click the checkbox, which is pre-render, but that's purely for SEO. It doesn't do any other... Wait, you have to check the like, checkbox? That seems like a lot of work to get pre-rendering working. Yeah, I don't know if I can handle that. A lot. Uh, <laughs> you know of any alternative services that just make things simpler? <laughs> I know. It's like one extra step, just pre-render. <laughs> I mean, you can choose not to pre-render. It's more, it's more for SEO if you're yeah. like, I don't care. And, and so it sounds like when people talk about like Jamstack and serverless, like what they're actually saying is not like getting rid of servers. It's more like moving away from centralized servers yeah. to like distributed servers that mm -hmm. like meet users closer to where they are. 
Yes. Yeah. It's a like distributed performance. Exactly. It's a distributed system. And obviously it, it, it introduces extra problems. So for instance, like one of the two hardest things in computer science is cache invalidation, right? And so <laughs> when you when you have more than one, like when you have a distributed network versus one server, you have like more caches you're dealing with. But there are ways around that. So Netlify has this, we call it atomic deploys. So what we do is we invalidate your cache every time you update your site. So it's linked to Git. So you see your Git history and that's like all, every single thing is like a version of your site that is accessible. So if you're like, I want to see the version of my site from a week ago, you can easily do that because that's available. But that Mm. also makes it such that you can quickly, every time you push a change to Git, it sends it through to all the CDNs and every single page is invalidated and then the new one pops up. Of course, there's some optimizations for like, what is it? Like LRU cache. It's like long least resource used or something, which is like, there's some optimizations there. Yeah, I don't know what it stands for either. LRU cache. Yeah, there's like some things there as well as like if the resource hasn't changed, like if you only change the code, but images haven't changed, then it might not invalidate those images. You're not doing the work though. The CDN is doing all that work. So nice. Yeah, we, we are obviously big fans of Netlify. I love it in Netlify. Enjoy the view.io is on Netlify. Mm-hmm. And we do use Netlify CMS for content management. Oh, nice. That's why we have content. Yeah. That's Netlify. how it happens. <laughs> we, have Netlify, we had Netlify forms as well. Yeah, we have Netlify forms as well. We're using like all the Netlify stuff. Super users. We're just just Netlify geeks. (laughs) Yeah, definitely super users because a lot of our, a lot of Netlify users tend to, static deployment is the most popular thing on our platform. And so a lot Mm -hmm. of users just use that and nothing else. And so, yeah, it's it's super nice that you're using every, every part of the Buffalo (laughs) that is I, I think this, this, might be, this might be a quote when we were implementing like Netlify forms uh, from Elizabeth. I think she at one point said like, that's all you have to do. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Yes, I love that. <laughs> I just that's assumed it. that we hadn't even finished the form yet because I didn't see any logic or anything to submit oh, yeah. the form. So I just it's like, that, and it just works? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, let me, I'll create a checkbox for you. You have to check <laughs> And yeah, <laughs> yeah. That'd be great. Thank you. If you could work on that, pass that on to the dev team. Yeah. I will. I will. Great. So let's let's go ahead and, and wrap up and move on to picks. But before we do, Divya, where can people find you? Apart from ViewConf US coming up and ViewJS yeah. Amsterdam, where can they find um, you online? Yeah. So I am short div online. I'm pretty active on Twitter. And so that's like a really great avenue to tweet at me. If you DM me, there's a likelihood I'll not answer you. Say. <laughs> I, I will if you're my friend, but otherwise I, I don't look at, yeah. Anyway, DMs are, are, are dangerous avenues, but Twitter is a really great way of finding me in general. And then I'm also like shortdiv.com, which is, I'm shortdiv everywhere. Yes. But if you, if you do want to send a DM to Divya, you can send one to <laughs> at Tollspan. <laughs> oh no have we checked I was grimacing for a second uh, I know I was like I was like yes it's tall, Toppy tall. <laughs> is, it div, is it opposite of div span this well is- it's, it's the sort of like I don't know block inline block yeah or, or is it block inline. or inline what's the what's the span is inline span is inline yeah span is inline yeah yeah so block or inline yeah yeah span that's fair I guess yeah span tall span divs <laughs> <laughs> are are very generic they are yeah, yeah. anything I mean, is before, an opposite <laughs> but before we analyze my joke too much and realize yeah it definitely is funny <laughs> um, let's move on to picks. <laughs> So my first pick, and actually my only pick for this week, is a show on Netflix called Zumbo's Just Desserts. They came out with their second season recently. That was pretty fun. And it's very similar to Great British Bake Off in many ways, Mm -hmm. in that people are just like generally pretty nice to each other and just like excited about making, in this case, desserts. 
And the like most heated argument people will have are about like what the best natural flavors are for a children's birthday cake. But that does get pretty heated. Let me, okay, tiny, tiny spoiler. It's, it's not rhubarb. No, 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 it wasn't rhubarb. It was, <laughs> oh my gosh, beetroot and dark chocolate. Like who thought that was a good idea? Each season also has one episode where children come in and judge the desserts. Oh, that's so cute. Which is so awesome. If you just watch one episode, watch that one. It's probably like the sixth one or something oh, like that. I have to watch that. And the kids are, are so earnest. And in this one, like one of the kids was like really serious. He, he, he's coming in and he's like, I, I, really, I really hope to, or like, I, I see a lot of great desserts here, here today. You know, obviously a lot of attention to detail. And I'm, I'm really hoping to see great things and taste great things. Thank you. <laughs> that reminds me of like, have you ever seen MasterChef with the kids? I haven't, but I've heard that they make the kids cry. I don't want to see kids cry. Yeah. I mean, honestly, every time I watch that, I'm like, this child is so young. There'll be like an eight-year-old on there. And I'm like, do you have anything else you'd like to do? Like go outside and play or something. Like, because- <laughs> Rather than uh, being traumatized from what Yeah, rather than being traumatized. Also, it's incredibly competitive. It's so competitive. I'm like, you're a child. Like, why are you exposing yourself to this? So Ben, how about your picks? Yeah, two picks today. One, since Divya on the podcast, one of my picks is a favorite Japanese tea. I like genmaicha, which is like a toasted rice tea. It's like one of my favorites to have, especially when eating sushi. And so my other one is an anime I started watching called Black Clover. And so that one's been uh, sort of making the rounds in the anime community. So that one's been uh, pretty fun. But yeah, those are my two picks for this week. And Ari, you're next. Continuing with my coding playlist picks, this week is The Ecstatics by Explosions in the Sky. It's a sort of light meandering. <laughs> like, I'm trying to think how it makes me feel. And yeah, it's, it's just sort of, it's very light and airy, but also it has sort of an electronic feel, even though it's not super electronic. Obviously, anyone who has listened to enough episodes with me knows that I love Explosions in the Sky, so you had to have known eventually that would be one of the picks, but yes, the ecstatics. And that is all for this nice. week. Yeah, I think it's your favorite next to Taylor Swift, right? Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And Elizabeth. So my pick this week is a trailer for a documentary I just saw called Vue.js, the documentary. Um. And <laughs> it's kind of funny because I was watching the trailer and I was like, is that me? And I can tell it's me in this crowd of people because I, my face is two, two inches away from my computer screen. And that's how I, that's how I code. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I'm excited to see that when it comes out. I think it comes out on February 24th. So by the time this podcast airs, it will be out or will be almost out. We'll see. Wait, okay. Now we have to go find Elizabeth now. Yeah, I know. No, I'm just yeah, gonna. Yeah. yeah, it's like a Yeah, I'm there for like in there for like 300 milliseconds. <laughs> yeah, I saw. It. I think you were like in a video call. Yeah. Like <laughs> Divya. Yes. So I I've been reading on and off this book called Essentialism. I've been reading it again just because it's a really good book to understand how to prioritize things. Like the whole point of the book is to be like, what is essential to what you need to work on? Because I think one of the criticisms of it, or one of the things that he critiques is just this concept of priorities, because it's crazy that it's a plural. <laughs> there should be one priority <laughs> and you should work towards that priority rather than have all these extra things that you work on. So like, for example, in line with that, I've been taking Spanish on and off. And I had to take that off of my plate this year just because I have zero time to work on it. And it's more a hobby and it's something that I do, but it takes up so much of my brain space because learning a language is very hard. It's not like playing a video game, which I mean, actually, that's a really bad analogy because play, playing a video game takes up so much of my brain space. Although that segues very nicely into this video game that I started playing called Baba's You. Amazing game. Oh, I love Baba's You. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so good. It's so good. It's 
wonderful. It, like, I do not play video games. I'm very bad at it. I tried to play Zelda and I fell off the chasm. Like, I tried to play- <laughs> Because I don't, I don't know how to use the controllers. I'm really bad. That's where I stopped. And Baba's you does not criticize you for that because there's no camera panning. It's two dimensional. Also, there's a concept of Command Z, which is so nice or Control Z. So when you make a mistake and you kill Baba by accident, you can just like go back and undo everything. It's just, not even Command Z. It's just Z. Yeah, it's just Z. So like you press, you press Z because and you're you expected undo. to do it so often. Yeah, and it's so. But it's also like the music is very nice. It's very enchanting. It's cute, and you start you start the game thinking it's super simple, but it gets so hard. It's yeah. so difficult. But the whole point is that you get to switch. You're essentially creating syllogisms within the game and so there's some logic involved with regards to like how to be a certain character and how to move it's so nice it's very well done i highly recommend it and then my next pick or my last pick is this anime since ben mentioned anime um (laughs) there's an anime movie i watched it's not i didn't watch it super recently i watched it like maybe a month ago it's called weather weathering with you I, I I need to DM you about that. I was going to ask you how it was. Yes. I, I missed the screening. Weathering with you is super nice. It is DM for a, a tall span. Tall span. That's right. Tall, tall span. There was like another film. I forget what the other one that he created. Is it your was. name. Your name. Yes. Yeah. So it's the same creator as Your Name, which is also a really good movie. If you oh my gosh, I love that watch movie. It. It's really nice. But Weathering with You is so beautiful. It just recently had its U.S. premiere. So it was in Asia like last year and then its U.S. premiere is quite recently. But I would highly recommend. It's very beautiful. The storyline is kind of weird, but in a good way. The ending is... I, I Yeah, if you watch it, I really want to talk about the ending. Okay, after I watch it, I'm DMing you. <laughs> yes, perfect. Okay, perfect. But I, I love it. I it's it's Even if you're not someone who likes anime, just like the animation quality is so good. And the plot is very interesting, so I I would recommend it. So that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. And until next time, everybody, enjoy the view. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash view.